Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello, greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, you're addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak, which means I love drafting, trading, scouting, managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So do you, so let's talk some Dynasty here on episode number 105. First, let me give an apology. We had some sort of a glitch within our uh, website that this did not uh, podcast last week. Week one in review um, was posted, and you can find it in iTunes and Apple Podcasts, but you can't find it. Some reason it didn't get uh, downloaded to many people's apps that they use for podcasts. So I apologize for that. Hopefully this one's going to come out go off without a hitch, and we've got our problems figured out. But each week I'm going to do a week in review where we just kind of discuss main things that I thought about and what the, what the games taught me as, as I watched them during the day, as well as to give you some advice on who, which players to pick up in the waiver wire, talk about injuries, and then finally I'll always do trades that actually happen in my league, kind of grade the trades. So that's what we're doing today. Today's episode number 105, and it's a review of season uh, of week number two, rather. So pretty cool that the NFL season carried on this weekend without a hitch due to COVID. Um, however, you could argue that COVID did play a part in this week with a rash of week two injuries, given the shortened training camps maybe and no preseason games. It was a super rough week for injuries. That was definitely the, the biggest thing of the week. As a side note, personally, I did pretty well this week. Uh, my teams were 6-2. and two, My dynasty teams were 6-2, and two, so that was a good, good week for me. Uh, win or lose, though. It doesn't really matter because it's just a joy to watch football all weekend and cheer on all of my dynasty teams. So here we go. After following week number two, here are some of my overall observations. First is that Justin Herbert earned a starting role, and I think the Tua is going to be next. So Tyrod Taylor was a last-second scratch by the Chargers, giving rookie Justin Herbert his first career start, and he really made the most of it. Herbert had a fair share of mistakes. That's definitely, definitely true including overthrows on third downs and a very unnecessary interception on a play that could have easily, where he could have easily just run for the first down and extended the drive. But even so, he played way better than Taylor played last week and opened up the Chargers offense a lot by throwing the ball downfield. He looked calm. He looked like he was in control of the offense. He completed 67% of his passes for 311 yards and a beautifully thrown touchdown pass in the corner of the end zone. He also had uh, 18 yards on the ground and a rushing TD. So statistically, he actually outperformed Patrick Mahomes, who had almost won the game against the defending Super Bowl champs, losing, of course, in overtime. After the game, the Chargers stated that Taylor is still their starting quarterback. But after this performance on Sunday, I can't see how they could give the starting role back to Taylor. Uh, the, the competent starts by rookies of Burrow and by rookie Herbert really also had me thinking that the Dolphins, who are 0-2, will be eager to see what they have in Tua Togovaola. Uh, I would not be surprised to see Tua's debut on Thursday night. I believe they play the Jaguars on Thursday night. Second thing that I noticed uh, this week is anemic offenses stifle dynasty players' value. There, You could list a bunch of teams here, but I'll just say that the Jets, the Washington football team, and the Lions have played horrendously on offense, and they're crushing their players' fantasy value, at least for this year. The Jets are averaging a league-low 265 yards a game. Washington is 277, and the Vikings are 278. 
quarterbacks should be passing for more than that by themselves, not, let alone that being the yardage for the whole offense. For the Jets, with Crowder out due to an injury, the Jets really don't have a startable player on their roster. He's in, he really, and Crowder himself is really only valuable in PPR leagues. I do think that McLaurin and Thielen, they're going to get enough targets to be startable each week, but each of them needed garbage time to compile their yards and touchdowns. Thielen did that in week one, and then McLaurin did it in week two. Dalvin Cook, of course, from Minnesota, I still feel like he's a must-start given his talent, his track record, and just the touches you know he's going to get. But if Kirk Cousins continues to play this poorly, um, even Cook could find himself on the bench on our dynasty rosters. Washington at least can point to a new coach, a new system, and a second-year quarterback as their cause for their offensive woes. The Jets can perhaps point to the fact that they have been badly injured at running back and wide receiver. They've definitely had a bad set of injuries. The Vikings can actually only point to Kirk Cousins. He's all they've got, and he's making them terrible. Third thing that I noticed was that split backfields uh, still have startable running backs in them, at least for two teams. The Browns showed that they could make Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt valuable starters on dynasty rosters, and the Chargers are proving that they can do the same. While other teams like the Ravens, the Lions, the Bills, their backfields are really proven to be too messy to determine if you can start which running back you could actually start. All the backfields have startable flexible or flex positions uh, depending on league sizes, but the Browns and the Chargers uh, running backs, I think, are the only ones that I feel confident starting. Uh, thus far, it seems like the Browns definitely need more of a favorable game script to involve both Chubb and Hunt. In week one, they felt behind too quickly to Baltimore, which of course most teams are going to do this season. Baltimore's pretty darn good, but that, that made, led them to giving Hunt more touches in that first game against Baltimore. But I believe what we saw on Thursday night against Cincinnati is more likely to be what happens because they're going to be playing teams that aren't Baltimore uh, the rest of the season. Um, I don't think that they'll score two touchdowns apiece like they did on Thursday night, but I do believe that they could each score one touchdown uh, apiece most weeks since they're really a run-first team and they're really trying to limit Mayfield's passing attempts. As for the Chargers, I mentioned them too. I thought it would take time for Joshua Kelly to earn his Melvin uh, Gordon role in LA. It seems like, though, he's actually taken away that role right away in his rookie year. Kelly actually out-carried Eckler 23-16 to this week. Eckler had 29 more yards on his 16 carries, and he caught four passes for 55 yards, but Kelly was also used in the passing game. He caught two passes for 49 yards. So Eckler is going to be disappointing, pretty disappointing for owners who thought that they would not have any sort of a split role this year. But I think he'll continue to be a great RB2, especially in PPR leagues. And Kelly is going to get about 50% of the touches in LA, and he'll get almost all of the goal line carries. I'm convinced of that, making him a startable flex play most weeks too. So the Browns and the Chargers have startable running backs, even though they're in split backfields. Third thing that I, or fourth thing that I noticed was that passing the baton to new leading wide receivers, the passing of the baton, it pangs me to say this, but I have to admit it, <laughs> Julio Jones is finally passing the baton to Calvin Ridley, just like Roddy White passed the baton to him many years ago. I've been late to this party, uh, believing that Jones was just still such a dominant talent that he would continue to be better than Ridley, but I'm finally joining the bandwagon. I'm agreeing with all the other dynasty analysts and saying it's time. Uh, Jones' touchdown deficiencies are a real thing, and Ridley's touchdown proficiency is now a real thing. Ridley's four touchdowns in these two games really could be more than Jones scores the rest of this year. I doubt it, but that's about the, you know that's about what Jones does. He scores like six touchdowns a year, it seems like. 
<clears throat> I still bet that Jones, I still bet on Jones gaining more receiving yards than Ridley. But this is the year that Ridley actually outscores him with fantasy points. Um, I think that he'll start to get drafted ahead of Jones in startup drafts. I believe the same thing is also happening in Pittsburgh, where Deontay Johnson is surprisingly surpassing Juju Smith-Schuster. Johnson had 13 targets on Sunday, which is one fewer than Juju's had in the first two games combined. Uh, he's become Big Ben's primary target. I still think that right now, if I was doing a startup draft, I'd, I'd draft Juju ahead of Johnson, but they sure are getting closer, and I might change my mind in a few weeks. Fifth thing I noticed is that Florida teams have found their lead running backs. Leonard Fournette burst on the scene this week and laid claim to the starting running back role in Tom Brady's offense. Jones scored on a walk-in touchdown on the game's first drive, but then Fournette got involved starting in the third uh, series of the game, and then he dominated touches after that point. And of course, he sealed the game with a 58-yard touchdown run. Uh, Tampa Bay definitely took a chance on this high-pedigreed first-round pick, but they may have found the running back for the future. And Fournette, of course, he has everything to play for because he's in a contract year um, and wants to get this contract and might end up signing one with Tampa Bay if he continues to play like this. The other Florida team, that would be Jacksonville. They're the ones that cut Fournette. They might not look so silly after the strong performance that they had their undrafted free agent James Robinson had on Sunday. And Robinson really looked good. It was only a second NFL game, and he had 16 carries for 102 yards and a touchdown. He's really making the most of his opportunity while Azigbo is on IR and while Armstead is in the COVID list. He's not going to give them a chance to come back and win the job if he continues to play like this. And I believe that he will. Robinson could be this year's number one waiver wire pick for owners that were wise enough to grab him before the season started. Like once that cut was made and the rumors came out that Robinson, though he wasn't even drafted in, in most of our rookie drafts, if you were smart enough to pick him up, that's going to be kind of the pickup of the year. Now let's talk about the, the bad news, the, the many injuries, the things we're all depressed about right now. If you own any of these players, some of them have been lost for the season already here in week two. We'll start with Saquon Barkley. Bummer, man. Uh, Barkley tore his ACL on Sunday, uh, leaving Dynasty owners devastated. This sad news negatively affects the value of every player on the Giants, I believe. Everything's going to be on Daniel Jones' shoulders now. He'll have to carry the team. Deion Lewis uh, should take over the starting role. He did, you know, when, when Barkley went out this week. But he, I just don't think he has the frame, the body frame, to be an every down back, which means Wayne Gallman's going to get some work too and be mixed in. And I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't sign uh, someone like Devontae Freeman or something like that. I wouldn't start any Giants running backs unless I was desperate this year. I don't think that's really going to be a thing. I do think the Giants are going to pass more, uh, given, you know, Daniel Jones, he's going to have a, a much, he's going to have to do a lot more with this offense. And so giant wide receivers should have more opportunities. Um, that part's true. But as a whole, the offense is going to suffer if Barkley's not there. So really, I consider it, even though the volume's going to go up for Daniel Jones and his receivers, it's still a net loss rather than a net gain, in my opinion, just because Barkley means so much. Next was Cam Akers. Akers injured his ribs, allowing for Daryl Henderson to play alongside Malcolm Brown and to have his career's best game. He scored as many fantasy points on Sunday as he did his entire rookie year. So if Akers misses more time, this backfield could get even muddier than it was. Becoming a three-headed monster like Sean McVay, Coach McVay said he wanted it to be this year. He might get what he wants. Uh, Henderson, though, in my opinion, he had all the opportunity, far more opportunity for more than a year now, and he hasn't been able to capitalize. So I don't believe that he'll be a future lead back in LA. If I was an uh, owner, I would try to sell him while he's got this little short you bump in his dynasty value. 
Next was Devontae Adams. Adams injured his hamstring early in the game on Sunday, leaving Alan Lazard and Valdez Scantling to battle for targets the rest of the day. And I think if Adams' injury lingers, that Lazard and MVS may be worthy of a flex play, but I wouldn't honestly not be too interested in starting any of them. Uh, Aaron Jones is the player who was most targeted on Sunday, leading to a 46-point fantasy day, an incredible day. Uh, While Adams is out, Jones is going to get the most significant bump for this year. Uh, the value of Jones and Adams does not change their dynasty value, uh, though it could prove um, though Jones could prove his worth in, in Green Bay and give him a chance at this new long-term contract that he's been waiting for. So if he's given this opportunity while Adams is injured, this could be just what he needs to convince the Packers that he needs that long-term contract. In which case, his value would jump, his dynasty value would jump because we know he'd be he'd be strapped to the the Green Bay offense for a few more years. And then simultaneously, that would actually drop the dynasty value of A.J. Dillon and Jamal Williams. Next injury was Sterling Shepard. He hurt his toe on Sunday, um, making what I believed would be his breakout year. Not that this really would be it. It's making that far less likely. Evan Ingram benefits the most he did on Sunday. I presume he'll continue to see more targets, especially combined with the Barkley injury. And then there's Darius Slayton. I think he was the next highest uh, targeted pass catcher after Ingram on Sunday, and I think that he will be a starter at almost every offensive set that they have now uh, while Shepard's injured, making him a pretty safe wide receiver three on dynasty rosters. Shepard seems to suffer injuries like this every year, and honestly, it's going to make me drop him quite a bit in my dynasty rankings. He just can't stay healthy. Another huge bummer, Christian McCaffrey. (laughs) McCaffrey hurt his ankle near the end of the game on Sunday, and it's reported to be a several weeks long injury, crushing many dynasty teams. Um, Mike Davis should have been rostered in all dynasty leagues where owners are paying attention. I know I added him to several teams um, of mine of mine during training camp when it was reported that he was far ahead of Reggie Bonifon and becoming McC- uh, McC- McCaffrey's primary backup. And Davis looked pretty good at the end of the game when he was playing. When McCaffrey was out, he looked pretty pretty good. He was actually used in really similar ways as McCaffrey. So I will start Davis in a few leagues this week. I'm sure of it. And I'll actually try to sell him to the McCaffrey owner as well. Uh, as for the Carolina Panthers, I, th- I assume Bridgewater will have to pass a little bit more than he would have normally while McCaffrey's out, giving his wide receivers a, l- a little bump in their fantasy value in the coming weeks, but not really changing dynasty value uh, for anyone based on this injury. Next was Paris Campbell. Campbell tore his PCL, and now he's out for the rest of the year. Uh, his dynasty value was just starting to rise after seeing his wonderful play in week one after missing his entire rookie year with an injury. Sadly, I think his dynasty value has to fall uh, after yet another season-ending injury. It's just going to be too difficult for him to not get passed by healthy players or new draft picks like Michael Pittman, who they drafted in the second round last year. I think after Campbell left the game, Pittman saw more targets, as did Mo Cox, who had over 100 uh, receiving yards. Zach Paschal was actually the one who caught the Rivers' lone touchdown pass. I think Pittman's dynasty value doesn't change much, but it could rise pretty quickly given that he's going to get a lot more playing time now. I am not interested at all in grabbing Pascal off the waiver wire this week, though I am interested in Mo Cox, as you'll hear me say here momentarily. More injuries. Mercy. Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo hurt his ankle and was replaced by Nick Mullins, who came in and did well enough to keep the 49ers ahead of the Jets the rest of the game. I think Mullins is a capable backup and can keep you know the offense moving, keep fantasy points coming. And Shanahan is a great at scheming things open, making things easy on quarterbacks. I think he'll do the same with Mullins. He's done it before. 
Raheem Mostert started the game uh, like he did last week with a very long touchdown run, but later he injured his knee. It's reportedly an MCL injury, which would sideline him for several weeks. Tevin Coleman got most of the carries after his injury, but he didn't really do that much with them, whereas Jarek McKinnon actually looked really fantastic on the few carries that he had and the one catch that he had. Um, I've always loved Mostert. I feel like Mostert is better than Coleman and McKinnon. I've never been interested in them. Finally, seems like Shanahan started to believe that too, based on the workload. But now we'll have to see. Uh, a couple weeks on the bench, we'll have to see what Shanahan believes once Mostert's ready to come back. For now, I'm keeping Mostert's value right where it is, um, his dynasty value, and same for Coleman and McKinnon. Um, I think it's going to be a messy backfield until Mostert comes back healthy, and then he'll lead the team in touches again. Now we've got Drew Locke. Locke injured his shoulder on Sunday, and he could miss a few weeks. Uh, his backup, Jeff Driscoll, played surprisingly well and almost led the Broncos to a come-from-behind win against a very tough defense in Pittsburgh. I suspect the quarterback play will fall off a little bit in Denver while Locke is sidelined, but not too much. Driscoll should be able to sustain the fantasy value of his pass catchers a little bit, even though he's going to be without one key receiver, which is our last injury to talk about. That's Cortland Sutton. Sutton played through a shoulder injury on Sunday only to tear his ACL. What a bummer. He's lost for the season. I think his absence, uh, in his absence on Sunday, Fant and uh, Judy and Hamler saw the most targets. I assume this will continue throughout the year. Uh, Sutton uh, and Judy's dynasty value will remain the same even after this injury, but Hamler really has the most to gain. His, His dynasty value diminished when he was drafted by Denver because you knew he was going to be behind Sutton and behind Judy, who they drafted in the first round. It seemed like he would never be more than a wide receiver three, uh, but now he's getting a chance to be a wide receiver two behind Judy. So he's got a more significant role, and if he could actually prove himself, maybe he can prove that he can be more than a wide receiver three uh, for this team. As for Fant, who's going to see an increased targets, uh, man, his dynasty value is rising after two incredible weeks. I think I need to move him up nearer to my top five tight ends in my rankings this week. Let me give you a couple things to think about on the waiver wire. I always prioritize uh, these for you. Hopefully you get this in time to make some moves on your waiver wire. As a reminder, I do play in 27 to 30-man roster leagues, true dynasty leagues. So the players that I list here are for deep leagues only. If you play in shallower leagues, there's certainly much better players than these to pick up off the waiver wire. Uh, that said, for you who are in, in true dynasty leagues, uh, here's who I'd be thinking about picking up this week, and I'll list them in order. First would be uh, Dalton Schultz. Um, I will admit that I was wrong on Schultz. Uh, Last week, I did not recommend picking him up because he looked terrible when he came in after Jarwin's injury, committing penalties, dropping balls. So maybe he just needed a week of practice. Maybe that was it. Practicing as the number one tight end because he was fantastic on Sunday. Uh, He was Dallas's most targeted pass catcher, catching uh, nine of 10 passes for 88 yards and a touchdown. It's true that Dallas was playing from behind, which increased his targets for sure. But even so, he proved that he could be a safety valve for Dak Prescott. Uh, He's still available in some of my leagues, and he'd be my top priority pickup this week. You'll notice a tight end theme here. (laughs) My next player that I'd recommend picking up this week would be Mo Alley-Cox. Now, the truth is that many smart owners picked up Alley-Cox last weekend, or right before the games this weekend, um, just after they found out that Jack Doyle was was ruled out. I know I did that in one league. I wish I would have done it in more. I got beat by Dave Cancellari, my buddy. He picked him up in several leagues that we're in together. Uh, savvy move by him. This could very well be the guy that's going to replace Doyle um, after he had this five-catch, 111-yard day. Before the games on Sunday, I noticed that Evan Silva tweeted out a stat showing that, that Ali Cox had the second-most air yards per route run uh, by tight ends in his short career. 
well, he improved on that stat this week because Phillip loves his tight ends and he targeted him often in about five catches for 111 yards, 22 yards per catch, which is pretty crazy. Phillip Rivers loves tight ends, which is why I've been pumping up Jack Doyle this whole offseason. Now I think I may be pumping up the wrong guy. It may be Mo Alley Cox's turn. Third guy I'd recommend, sticking with the tight end theme, would be Drew Sample. Uh, Joe Burrow has really proven in his short, short, obviously very, very short career, <laughs> two games, but he's shown that he loves to target the tight ends. Uh, that's why last last week I recommended CJ Uzoma as a waiver wire pickup. And Uzoma was proving me right early on Thursday night in that game when he had four catches for 42 yards and a touchdown catch. But unfortunately then uh, he tore his Achilles and now is lost for the season. Um, but that didn't stop Joe Burrow from targeting his tight ends, though. Uh, he targeted Sample nine times, resulting in seven catches and 72 yards. I think that he'll do the same the rest of the season. He'll continue to pepper Drew Sample. And lastly, I would put these in the same category, Nick Mullins and Jeff Driscoll. It looks like Mullins and Driscoll will be starting for their teams for the next few weeks at least. Uh, therefore, they are worthy of trying to pick up in a super flex, in super flex leagues only. Um, although I do think everyone's going to be trying to get them, though. And so you'll have to pay up to get them, I'm sure. If I had two starting quarterbacks already, I don't think I'd be willing to pay up uh, for one of these guys because they're just going to be short-term starters. Um, I'd wait for that season-long injury. We'd never wish it on anyone, but I'd wait for when I know a quarterback's going to be gone for a season. Then I would target uh, that backup and spend my money there. Final thing for the podcast this week is to talk about week two trades. Uh, these are trades that are made in leagues that I'm a part of. Thing I like, you know, when you listen to other podcasts, uh, it's interesting when they try to have you know a grade the trade segment. It's it's valuable, but trades are actually really hard to grade in a vacuum, uh, since scoring systems are different in each league, and every team has a diverse roster construction. Uh, that's why I write about and, and podcast about these trades that were actually made in my leagues, because then I can give the the whole context. Because I I know which teams made the trades, I can give the whole context for why the dynasty owners made the trades that they made. I'll grade the trade, but in the context of what each of them was attempting to accomplish. So that said, here are my thoughts on some trades that were made in my leagues this week, and I hope it gives you uh, an idea of how other active owners value these players. Versus uh, Mike Evans uh, was traded. Mike Evans for Marquise Brown in a 2021 first. Mike Evans for Marquise Brown in a 2021 first-round pick. This trade was made in a 12-team Superflex PPR league. Both teams actually have really strong wide receivers. Uh, one team just wanted to get younger. And so this trade was pretty fair for what both owners wanted, but I think I'd lean a little bit toward the Evans side of this deal. While both receivers can be boom-bust guys, that being Mike Evans and Marquise Brown, I think Evans really just has a safer floor. I like that he's tied to a more pass-heavy offense in Tampa Bay than the run-heavy uh, Baltimore offense for Brown. Um, the added first-round pick does make it pretty even, uh, but even first-round picks can be a bust, so I think I would like the Evans side of this trade. Second trade that took place in my leagues was Will Fuller, Eric Ebron, and a 2021 second-round pick for Naheem Hines and Hunter Henry. Will Fuller, Eric Ebron, and a 2021 second for Naheem Hines and Hunter Henry. So this trade was made in a 14-team, super flex, half PPR, tight end premium, all flex league. <laughs> all right. Uh, the trade's pretty even. I really think that Hunter Henry is the best player in this trade. But I still think I like the Fuller, Ebron, and Pick side of this trade. 
Hines may have literally had the best game of his entire season in week one. You could maybe even say best game of his career. I, he, he'll, he'll pass that up sometime in his career, but it's very arguably could say this was the best game of his uh, season was week one. And so he was sold at his high point. Uh, while it is an all-flex league, uh, the team that traded for Hines was thin at running back. They only had four running backs on their roster. I think he likely thought Hines could fill a need there. And I think he, but I do think he gave up too much. Ebron is significantly uh, a downgrade from Hunt, from uh, Hunter Henry, but Fuller's a great addition. And add to that, uh, the second round pick that would really put it over the top for me. Third and final trade. Uh, this one I thought about it not even mentioning because it was Jimmy Graham was traded for a 2021 third round pick. So that's why you got to know the context for these things. This trade was made in a 12 team half PPR league. Um, it was made by a team that lost Uzoma on Thursday night, and then they had Kittle as their only other tight end. And when Kittle was ruled out, he just started looking and he found a guy, <laughs> found a tight end that he could buy from a team that was in rebuild mode and compiling draft picks. So both teams really got what they wanted. Um, but I think the new Graham owner paid too much for really what's probably going to be just a, a one-week plug-in that didn't help him. He only scored 2.3 points in his league. To help him, so I think I would have taken a chance to find a guy on the waiver wire instead of giving up that third round draft pick for a plug-in play. Anyway, those are the trades that took place in my league. Hope this has been helpful. I hope you guys have a great week and get off to a good start working the waiver wire and managing scouting and noticing everything within your team 365 days a year. That's a wrap for this week, my freaky friends. Thanks so much for listening. Make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. That's dynastyfreaks with two E's, dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. I'm much better on email than Twitter. Love corresponding via email, so hit me up sometime. I'd be honored if you'd make time to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. That would mean a lot to me. Until next time, I appreciate your support. I do want to become your most trusted and independent voice in the Dynasty landscape. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there. Get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.